and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dice. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week, I have Patrick Ward with me, and he is the director of marketing for Rootstrap a full-service custom design and development agency and digitally transforms enterprises, which is always important, especially nowadays where everything's online. But he's worked with various different industries like insurance, real estate, finance, travel, and tech industries. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks for having me. And the first question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Definitely a coffee drinker. My my mum's always been into tea, but uh, for me, it hands down a, a good cup of joe never goes astray. <laughs> gotcha. Do you have any like favorites, or are you just like Starbucks is my best thing? Uh, no, nah, it's definitely definitely not Starbucks. I am pretty militantly against Starbucks. I would say generally it's uh, something like a fills that puts a little bit more effort into the actual craftsmanship of the brew (laughs) that's fair i mean to be fair starbucks is all about efficiency more than actual crafting so that's why it's not as good as let's say like a blue bottle or like a stomp town yes i do know my coffee brands (laughs) yeah it's funny that i always go back to the fact that and my home country of Australia drove out Starbucks. And I think a couple of hundred opened in about 2015. And within a couple of years, 85% of them had closed down. And that's a testament to how much we love our coffee. <laughs> wow. You guys really don't like Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> Anyways. I gave a brief explanation about your expertise. Can you give a little bit more to our audience? Yeah. So I work in the custom software development space. So like many people don't really know a lot about our industry. It's very much behind the scenes. So the way that I always describe us is through the the brands that we've worked with, most notably Masterclass. So if you've used the Masterclass app at all, especially during the pandemic, you might've tried a, your hand at a Gordon Ramsay uh, recipe. That tech is all powered by us. And I think that's really what a, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is that really at the end of the day, it's not a case of whether you want to be digital or not, you have to be digital. And that's really what we focus on helping companies achieve is how do they seamlessly provide a good quality experience to their, their users and their stakeholders across all range of different digital platforms. Gotcha. I mean, it goes into what we're going to be talking about, about digital transformation for businesses, especially enterprises, but how important is it right now for them to transfer more into digital? Because before it's been like, you should be on digital or you should be on digital platforms or you actually have a good website. And like that was before, but now it's like, well, you, you need to step it up and actually have everything in order. So how important is it now? It's, Absolutely mission critical. I mean, if you look at the, even as recently as the 2010s, it was still viewed as a nice to have. Now it is absolutely essential for your business to succeed. Even when I look at the various different areas, you look at what digital transformed first. Most often it was the mundane work. It was taking things from being on paper to why don't we put that into an application? Or why don't we have an automated workflow? 
Now what you get is an increasing level of sophistication. And it's funny that it's often hit now in my area of sales and marketing, where you have sales reps, even those in the technology space who still were selling in antiquated manners. They were selling via trade shows. They were going to conferences, going to networking meetups. You know, this, this idea of the traveling salesman was still very much alive. And yet they, as a result of the pandemic, it wasn't that the pandemic created remote and therefore digital forms of communication, but really just accelerated what was already happening. And so now you're coming into an era where suddenly people, like they still value an in-person experience or a, what I would call an analog experience, but you still need to be able to provide them the information they want about your business, provide the services they want in a digital format. And most importantly, they want it in a way that they don't have to talk to anyone. This is one of the most interesting transformations in what I would say the last couple of years of ideas such as product-led growth, which basically means that businesses need to put their services, put their products out into the marketplace in a digital channel and allow the customers to buy from them at will. That a huge amount of infrastructure that is required on the back end, it all seems easy enough when we pull up our smartphones and we go to an app and then we just you know log in with a fingerprint or anything like that. But when it comes to what a business has to invest in in order to accomplish that, it is a, a huge amount of expenditure. And really that's not a bad thing because while the expenditure might seem huge, the opportunity cost of not investing is that much greater now. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is like long-term and short-term kind of growth in a way. So investing hugely in digital is going to be a short-term upfront cost, but the long-term goals is going to be exponential. Is that what I'm hearing? Not only is it going to be exponential, but you're going to be able to measure so much more. The fact that we now have entire companies built on the back of data uh, is a testament to what can be accomplished. So even when you look at 10 to 15 years ago, a lot of companies, when they were looking to take their products and services to market, they had a, a reasonable idea of, okay, well, if we do this advertising campaign, if we have this sales team, if we have these folks in the field, we can sort of guess that we'll do okay. Now it's not even a guess. With digital, you know whether you're going to be successful because you can figure out, hey, what does my ideal customer think of my product and service? What are the other competitors in the space that they could be going to? How are people talking about it? And you can all piece all of that data together in real time to truly understand and model where that investment is going to bring you revenue. And I think that's one of the critical things about digital is you want to be mindful to not overanalyze to the point of paralyzing you from doing anything with your business. But at the same time, you're able to get that much more granular knowing that, hey, if I put $1 into this campaign, I can be reasonably guaranteed that I will get $10 back. And that level of granularity is only possible when it's being measured. And so, I mean, you talked about salespeople and basically people don't want to be talked to to salespeople. So is your like website basically the new sales 
person or sales tool instead of uh, it's basically the death of the salesman in a way if you think about it because we want it on the website so i can go look at the price instead of talking to somebody and they may or may not tell me the price because they don't want to sticker shock me so is this new salesperson basically your website now or your e-commerce site or whatever absolutely I know this is very unpopular with a lot of sales folks. A lot of them are trying to pretend like they'll turn into thought leaders or subject matter experts. Um, fundamentally, I don't think this is true. I don't believe a sales rep, quite honestly, is capable of turning into that. And you can you can look even in the titles that sales reps were given. They used to all have sales in their title. Then they became business development managers. It's still the same thing. At the end of the day, you have to look at how does the buyer want to consume information about your services. And quite frankly, they don't want to speak to a sales rep because they know that even if that sales rep is pretending to be helpful to them, even if they're trying to offer a bunch of different solutions, they're not really obliged to give a true, honest answer. And this is where we see the rise of things like influencer marketing. Now, I'm the first person who disdains the term influencer, but the concept is correct in the sense that people are looking to peers, people are looking at people who've been there before as the true barometer of whether they should take a certain path or not. And then when you come back to, like you said, the website, the website will provide all the information that Quite honestly, sales reps still do. There's, there's still so many sales reps who talk about features, talk about what our platform does here, there, and everywhere. And I just look at that as a as a buyer and go, well, why did you need to tell me that? I could have found that from this section of your website or that blog post on your website. Increasingly, we're seeing more and more buyers, particularly in the B2B space, but even in, in B2C, just wanting to consume information on their own time, on their own accord, without being harassed into a sale. This idea of the old Glengarry Ross always be closing is very much dead and buried as far as I'm concerned. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it seems like influencer marketing, as you still disdain in that term, but basically influence, I think you could just say influence marketing because you're trying to influence people in a way. So it's more of a psychology-based thing. But the term influencer marketing does help with people identifying what it's all about. But how does this translate to PR? So PR people like understand that they have to have a good PR up front. But if they lose the salespeople, even for a marketing standpoint, it can be a little detrimental. So how do they pivot away from maybe not relying solely on the, the salespeople and maybe doing maybe like a 20-80 split or something like that? Is there some way of like, splitting that up where you still rely on a little bit of salespeople, but not fully for future wise. Yeah. I would argue that the world of the sales rep is just going to diminish where it is more towards fulfilling requirements. So if your solution or product is highly customizable, there is still a need eventually to speak to someone. Or even when you look at uh, products that you can purchase online, we've seen the rise of the SaaS businesses, there's still customer service. And even with that customer service, you're often assigned an account representative. That person 
despite the title, is still a salesman, but they are there to guide you through the best practices when using uh, a particular product or service. So you mentioned PR. When we, when we think of the world of PR, I think that PR is actually going to become increasingly more important now because suddenly everything is being front loaded into marketing. And marketing for a long time, particularly in the B2B space, has been driven to be more like sales. You know, we've seen the, the rise in direct response copywriting. Um, we've seen the rise of conversion rate optimization. The irony here is that for marketing to continue to be successful, it needs to pull itself back to what it was really good at which is telling stories. And this intersects really nicely with what PR always did well. PR at its heart is about putting the right stories in front of the right journalists at the right time. Now, maybe it's not always traditional media now. We know that with the rise of social media, the rise of influencer marketing, as we just talked about, there are multiple different channels for it, not just going through the traditional top tier publications. But that nevertheless is still a PR category. And I think that's really what the focus for businesses need to be is that it's less about selling your product or service and more making enough customers aware about your product or solution, but allowing them to choose, hey, your product or service is the best for my needs. I found it really interesting over the course of my career that as I've lent into what I would call radical honesty in my marketing, the more success I've seen. Because I think now people are tired of the sales message. They're tired of being feeling like they're being duped into purchasing a product or service. They just want to make sure that, hey, does this product or service meet my needs, help me accomplish my goals? And that honestly is the period where good marketing, good PR, can intersect and work together in order to, to help a business really achieve its growth. So yes, I think there is still room for a sales rep, but it's certainly not as big as it's traditionally been, been made out to be. Gotcha. And even going off the influencer marketing, I guess, sector in a way, it almost seems like to me that you almost have to understand influencers are specific to the platform. So it should almost be platform marketing because you're not because influencers aren't influencers everywhere. They're influencers on YouTube. They're influencers on Twitch, on LinkedIn, or whatever. So, should we be rethinking influencer marketing to be more about platform specific and finding them, and maybe call them social platform marketing instead of just influencer as the dub influencer marketing in general? I think that's a really great way to conceptualize of this move because you've seen the same problems that companies faced when they went into social media in the first place. You know, I remember one of my first companies just said, take whatever you post and just post it across every uh, platform. And sure, what did we see? Very limited results. You get one like here, one like there. No one really cares because they can tell you're just pushing the content across the platform without any regard for the platform. And that's certainly what platform-specific influencers have really mastered. They've understood that, hey, every platform has its unique quirk, it has its unique audience, it has its unique flavor of what it likes and what it dislikes. And that's what you need to tap into as a company. 
And I get it. It's really concerning, particularly to small to medium businesses when they think, oh, I've got to do this on TikTok and I've got to do this on Facebook and I've got to do this on Twitter and this on YouTube. And it can feel very overwhelming. And my advice there is always tapping into the platform that is most specifically going to drive the results that you want. So I did this with one of my previous companies where I said to them, look, we're just going to focus on LinkedIn. We're in the B2B space and our uh, offer is quite expensive. It was in the $100,000 range. So naturally, we're going to gravitate to where there are corporate buyers who have that kind of cash. We're not going to spend any time on Twitter, any time on Facebook, any time on any of the other platforms. And sure enough, within six months, LinkedIn was driving 35% of our revenue. Now, that was, there was a lot of pushback at the start. It's like this expectation of like, oh, I need, to, I need to be on every social platform. And that's not, uh, not the case. You just need to find what is your niche and where are the right people, both in terms of buyers, but also, as you said, the influencers who have that platform-specific knowledge that will actually get the results for your business. Yeah, it's almost like marketing FOMO. Like you feel like you're missing out if you're not on all of them, but coming from a person that's done it by myself, like five different platforms, it's not easy because you have to figure out how to do five different things. And that, that basically tasks the mental capacity of one person. Cause you're like, well, I got to repurpose this. Well, I can't repurpose this today cause I'm not on something else. And so you're in this conundrum of how do I keep things fresh on different social platforms, but I can't because I only have a limited time in a day to do stuff. And so it becomes basically spreading it across the same thing and the same channel or the different channels of the same content. So yeah, I feel like FOMO is a big part of like the PR marketing thing, but I think we need to really do reassess how many platforms we're on. I mean, just to give a, a little bit of insight into a behind the scenes, I used to work with what I would dub as an influencer, he got millions of views across two main platforms, LinkedIn and TikTok. And he had specific ghostwriters and content creators behind him that helped him for each one. And for TikTok, it was a young kid who was, I think, 18, 19 years and had cracked the code. Similarly, it was a more professional business-minded ghostwriter for LinkedIn, completely different setups. Now, as you say, if you're a solo entrepreneur or a small business, that can be really hard to do. But it's it was just interesting to see this person. I'd, I'd known him as an influencer before I began to work for him. And it seemed like it was all very seamless. It's all different types of content. He's got it all down packed. Only then, once I started working for him, did I see, no, he's got a whole team behind him. And he's got teams of experts for each platform specifically to make sure that, hey, my content on TikTok is going to be very different to my content on LinkedIn, but it's all speaking to different audiences. And that's what we've always got to remember is that it's very disingenuous to say the same thing across every platform because even the same person is not going to have the same audience across every single platform. Right. And I mean, even going off to that for more content wise, because we're talking about content and stuff, there is the advent of podcasting becoming super popular, what we're doing right now. It's very popular right now. It actually exploded because of the pandemic. I mean, it was popular before, but then it 
became that. But then also the inception of Clubhouse drop in, drop out audio. So now you have two different types of specific key audio content platforms, one long form, one short form. I call Clubhouse more short form than long form. So, I mean, how do PR pros keep up with all that? They can't be experts in the audio, in the video, writing and doing all this stuff. So how do you keep this in control? Because your bosses are going to want to be on everything that's coming out that's new because they don't want to, once again, feel like they're being left behind or FOMO. Yeah, I think this is a real interesting component of what I've seen time and time again. I've had the same experiences with CEOs where they want to be on everything. And as tough as it is to hear that, more often than not, both PR professionals and marketing professionals, we're, we're yes men at heart. And that's a real problem for us. Our instinct is to say, yes, okay, I will saddle myself with that burden and another burden and another burden until we burn out and we can't keep up with everything. I always like to push back as soon as they say that and really dig into the why. And you really want to do that because you figure out what is important. And obviously, the standard thing that we all say is revenue is important. Well, sometimes with some CEOs, it's not. You know, I had one CEO who it was really important for him to be in the Harvard Business Review. And when I really dug in, I said, well, why do you want to be in the Wall Street Journal? Why do you want to be in this? Why do you want to be in that? I really figured out that it was a component of ego. Now, rather than pushing back on that, that now informed my strategy as his quote unquote PR professional. Suddenly I'm like, okay, I can forget about these other publications which might drive us more revenue and I can just focus on serving that ego. And I think that really comes down to the heart of what PR and marketing professionals do really well is understanding people's motivation. And then once you understand that motivation, you're able to serve them in the best possible way. I think that really is what it comes down to of understanding if you're in PR for a certain industry, you understand what's important to that industry, why do they care about certain platforms over other platforms, and pushing back against that constant narrative of, oh, well, everyone's talking about TikTok, so we had to be on TikTok. I had the same conversation of, oh, let's get on TikTok because TikTok's blowing up. And I said, well, hold on a minute. We're in custom software. I can see the demographics of people on TikTok. They aren't buyers of our custom software. They're still on LinkedIn. Now, I'm not saying I won't move away from LinkedIn at some point. Of course I will. Platforms rise up and platforms die all the time. But the fact of the matter is you've still got to go into, okay, where are the results going to come from? And more importantly, what results do you even want? Now, nine times out of a 10, you will come back to revenue. And that's, I think, a thing when CEOs often say, oh, I want to be on this platform. In some cases, like I mentioned, it can be ego-based, but more often than not, it is that FOMO of thinking like there might be money behind it. But as soon as you show them the data that, hey, actually, there is no money behind this, there's actually more money here, many of them will take a step back, learn that, hey, you are the expert in understanding how to influence behavior, how to influence segments, how to influence audiences in order to achieve the outcome you want, i.e. your product and service, getting more revenue, more growth, which is at the end of the day what most of us do want. Mm -hmm. 
and even going on that about like pushing back, I remember when I started out, I actually did push back because my boss wanted me to be on was it MySpace when it did his third redesign, and we were a tech company. We sold mobile phones, and I'm like, what's I don't understand the point of this. Like, why should we be on here? This is all about this is when they pivoted to music. This is all about music. Why are we as a company going to be on here? It makes no sense to me. He's like, cause it's blowing up. And I'm like, it still doesn't make any, and I had to be on there, but I just never used it. So I did what he told me to do, but then I had, I had to just go on there, but I just never actually used it because I was like, there's no point for me to do anything for this. So how do you change the mind? I guess is the best way of saying it. Yeah. You can certainly lead with data, but sometimes like you did, there is actually value in letting it run their course. And I will say that this is a very scary thing to do. I know a lot of marketers I've advocated this for freak out at this, and maybe this is because I'm more cavalier in my career, but I have often run simultaneous AB tests. I'm like, okay, let's do it your way. We're going to run this test and I'm going to do my test alongside it. 99 times out of a hundred, my test always wins. And by doing that, then they have data. But more importantly, it's not me saying they're wrong. It's not me offending their ego. It's like, I literally tell that C-suite executive, you make the numbers work. Because we've run this test, we've done everything by the book, we've, we've tried your idea, it's not working. Now, that can be a hard thing to do. A lot of people really struggle with this idea of managing up. But you really do have to because at the end of the day, you are the expert, not the CEO. The CEO really is thinking about you know, keeping the lights on, getting growth, satisfying investor demands, all of these other impacts that happen to a CEO on a daily basis. They might think they're a good marketer, but otherwise, why would they have hired you? And I think that's the real critical thing is that Sometimes you can teach them and having built enough trust, they will just listen to your feedback straight away. But if they don't, prove to them with data, run a test. And the great thing about doing this, uh, I've always said that by running these experiments and then proving why I'm right, the next time becomes that much easier because suddenly then the CEO will check themselves and go, actually, you know what? Let's not do my idea. You're the expert. I trust you. I hired you for a reason. You've more than enough proved yourself. So let's let's go with what you suggest. And that's not to say you you know you're always being a, a dictator in the world of PR and marketing. We're always experimenting. Every marketer and PR professional knows that. But you need to be valued for your experience. Unlike most fields, we have a real abundance of people who believe they know our field without knowing the first thing about it. And I always find that funny. I think it's maybe because it seemingly comes across as easy. It's certainly not. It's no easier than any other area. But you'd never get someone saying, oh, I know about the medical field. I could totally be a doctor. I could totally operate on someone. But yet for some reason, people believe that about the communications field. Well, it's part that marketing and PR just have ambiguous definitions. Like everybody understands the 
basic definition of marketing or the basic definition of PR is just basically reputation and making sure that you are hitting demographics that will potentially buy your product or subscribe to you or whatever you're trying to actually market. So I think we haven't done a really good job of actually like being specific about what marketing is because I've seen a lot of people like bosses tell me exactly what marketing is. I'm like, uh, okay. Like I, I was like, yeah, I, I understand that part, but you don't really understand it. And plus marketing and PR are so close together that people can't even distinguish those two. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think it really comes down to marketers do a great job of marketing everything except for themselves. And uh, we, we constantly fight that battle. And not only that, but we also have the, the distinction between good marketers and good PR professionals and bad marketers and bad PR professionals. And there's a lot more in that latter category than there is in the former. It's like we don't do PR well for PR, but we do PR well for companies. So we forget that we should be doing PR and marketing for our own actual industry, but we do it so well for everybody else. So everybody else is like, oh, this is easy. It's like, yeah, it's not that easy. Not even close. (laughs) And I mean, we're talking about digital transformation because I feel like it's extremely important right now. What are some tools that PR pros should use to actually help? Maybe it's a small business or an enterprise that's a little behind. Maybe it's a B2B, like you said before. They're just a little behind the curve and they're trying to catch up desperately now because they've been so behind. So what tools would help PR pros to get to that spot, basically? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges for PR professionals comes in the world of ideation around content and one of my favorite tools that i've actually been experimenting with for the last month is uh, copy ai and copy ai for those who don't know it it's based on uh, google's uh, own ai algorithm and it's essentially you you put in a few concepts you put in a few terms and it'll generate either short snippets of content for you now by no means is it perfect it does still sound a little clunky but I, I ran an interesting experiment earlier this week and what I found was rather than taking about three to four hours to put together an article it took me 25 minutes and that's because we all know particularly in the world of PR that challenging idea of looking at a blank screen and not knowing what to write or not knowing how to even begin. And this is where this little area just sped that up so much faster. I think another big area comes into the the idea of, uh, or I should say the service of exploding topics. There are the similar ones, but that it monitors trends that are coming in the horizon. And we're really in a world right now where the idea of, a company can just put out a press release certainly doesn't work anymore. If you want any sort of publicity or press placement, you need to be thinking, okay, where is the intersection between my company and some interesting trend that is happening? So we did this ourselves right during the middle of the pandemic. A number of our clients are in the ed tech space, like I mentioned before, Masterclass being the biggest one. And we noticed that ed tech was rapidly increasing in adoption at the same time as traditional education, so traditional four-year degrees uh, from colleges, was declining. 
And so we were able to quickly put together a report and have that report get placed in a number of big publications because it was timely, because we saw that journalists were hungry for data and information around this topic of like, why is ed tech surging? It does this spell the end for traditional education. And I think that's a really important component now for PR professionals. It's less about, okay, can I get this company that I'm representing into all the publications tomorrow? It's, can I get them into those publications in a timely fashion? Because we all know you can pay to be in publications. You can always do the paid route. It'll cost you an arm and a leg, but you can get into any of them. But it still doesn't hold the same validity and the same weight within the mind of the audience unless it is a more genuine organic piece that just so happens to mention your company because your company is an expert in, in the particular field that it is and more importantly says something insightful about a current trend that people are seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that even goes to the next thing about just media companies and should businesses almost be thinking in the PR sense of about like a small media company because you said press releases by themselves will give you some traction but it won't give you enough anymore because of news publications downsizing a whole bunch and you never really know what reporter you're going to be speaking to from next day on because they always leave and go somewhere else or they're or they just let go because there's just not enough money in there so should they be in a more of a mentality of a small media company of like yes press release but also video b-roll pictures audio if you actually can actually do that as well should they be thinking in that mindset instead of just strictly pr absolutely i mean we're right in this point in time where i mean we talked about it at the start like content is king content is so crucial for both what is on your website what is being consumed by your buyers so if you aren't creating an ecosystem of content which arguably is synonymous with what a media company represents, you're not really going to get a lot of traction. And that really comes back to, sure, I can create the best converting website. I can make sure everything is geared towards getting that result, whether it's a sign up, whether it's an email, whether it's a purchase in the case of e-commerce, but I can't expand my reach beyond that. And that's really where PR has always been great. But it's no longer the case of I go to a PR professional, they have the contacts in five different of the top publications. Because like you said, not only are the journalist rooms being downsized, you're also seeing a lot more contract writers. You know, the, the amount of writers now I interact with and it's like, oh, I'm a writer for this publication and nine other publications. That model has really seen a surgence as media companies have unfortunately had to slash their journalist rooms and slash their budgets. But that's an opportunity for companies. That's an opportunity for us to take the reins of what was traditionally just sort of taken care of by a PR agency with a publication and now recreate that model for ourselves. Because there was still value in it. There's still a reason that people go to big publications because they want insightful information. They want information that's relevant to them. So if you can adopt that mindset for the types of content you're creating, as opposed to just putting out more product led, 
more sales led messaging, you're going to do really well in today's current climate. Mm -hmm. And that even leads me to like, what content should PR pros be focusing on? Because you only have, like I said, you only have so much time in a day and depending on the content, it could take hours to days to actually like produce to, like I said, depending on the content. So how should PR pros pri either prioritize or focus on which content? My personal recommendation here, and this is not for everyone, but I've seen the most success with statistical based content, uh, mainly around any sort of data that has been analyzed by whether you have an in-house data science team, which I very fortunately do have, or you are able to outsource that to someone else who can produce it for you. That type of content resonates really deeply because at the end of the day, you go back to the journalist. The journalist is trying to pump out you know, 10 times the amount of content with you know, a, a tenth of the staff now. And so given that they have less and less time and they need quick, ready to uh, deploy resources to prove their particular narrative. And this is what I spoke about with the idea of trending topics, right? What are journalists trying to achieve? They are trying to achieve eyeballs on their particular story because they hope that it is relevant to a wide enough audience. So that's the trend. Once you understand that, then you can be the, the data resource for those journalists in order to support their particular point. And that I think is where PR professionals, if they focus on that primarily, they'll be able to win. Now, this is not for all of them. Obviously, if you're a PR professional and you're working with a publicly listed company, well, needless to say, they have to put out quarterly earnings. They have to put out financial information. Like you can, if you're Amazon, you're always going to get covered by the press because people are interested in what Amazon is doing. But if you're a PR professional working with the vast majority of companies that are not publicly listed and that are just trying to get some exposure for their brand, then you can't go wrong with statistical based content. Mm -hmm. And fun question for you. If you could actually create a tool to easily transition, think of like a state, the staples red button, but it's digitally, what would it be for you? I think the, the biggest need I have is if I could translate any piece of content into a different format based on personality type. This is one of the things I've got really attuned with working in technology is that I, based on the, the disc personality assessment, I've known that I'm the influencer type, but I work with a whole bunch of developers who tend to be more conscientious. And I think that's always been the struggle for me in that if I just had a button that I could press that changed an article to be different based on your personality type, I think that would be an absolute winner. Gotcha. And any final thoughts for listeners? I think the critical thing in what we're seeing right now, both in the world of PR and, and marketing is understanding that these new tools that are coming out like AI, like machine learning based products and services are not scary. I know there was a, in a couple of recent years, there was this idea that PR was dying. I speak with a lot of companies that is clearly not the case. 
and particularly I think the best barometer here is where the investment is coming. So when I speak with Series B, Series C, Series D companies, their whole strategy in order to get to unicorn status relies very heavily on PR. And it makes sense. Now I'll say this even as a marketer, I can do little optimizations on a website. I can do different email outreach campaigns. I can run paid ads on social or AdWords. But at the end of the day, if you're looking to really command the society's zeitgeist, you can't go wrong with PR. And that I think is while it has changed in the last couple of years and certainly in the last 10 years, it's not gonna go away, it is merely transforming. And I think that's something to be very attuned to of what is that human element of PR and marketing that we don't wanna lose. We don't wanna become technicians. We don't wanna become systems engineers. We still wanna remember that at the end of the day, we're trying to tell compelling stories in order to get not only our direct audience, i.e. our prospective customers, but really society at large to look into what our businesses are doing, understand the impact of what our businesses are trying to accomplish and join us for the journey as that progresses throughout history. Gotcha. That's a pretty well said final thoughts. But thank you, Patrick, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the show and let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to understanding what platforms you should be on. And see you next week. Later. Later.